What do you love about music? To begin, everything. Welcome to season 12, Pool Sceners. This is the Pool Scene Podcast with your hosts, Kevin, myself, and Jim. Hey now. We're excited to kick off with a movie that Jim had never seen. Yeah, it's true. Not another one. Go figure, eh? A film that appears on several greatest films of all time lists. We are going to be discussing the semi-autobiographical 2000 comedy drama, Almost Famous, written and directed by Cameron Crowe about his time as a teenage writer for Rolling Stone magazine the original title was literally untitled yeah but dreamworks would not allow it to be called untitled cameron crow broke into the film industry by writing the movie we take our namesake from fast times at ridgemont high the first film he directed was the iconic say anything followed by singles not that crazy about singles it's okay i think i was in the wrong pocket. I think I was a little young for it. And then by the time, like the age I would have been to appreciate it, it's dated. Yeah, a little bit. And then Jerry Maguire, he also directed before Almost Famous. A little more shaky after Almost Famous with Vanilla Sky, mm. Elizabeth Town. Oh, no. Couple documentaries. We Bought a Zoo and Aloha. Oof. So, and Aloha means goodbye. Yeah, Aloha had uh, the cast Emma Stone to play an Asian girl. So kind of uh, fucked up. Yeah. A a little, cultural appropriation. Yeah, a little uh, people weren't thrilled about yeah. that. The film follows the fictional band Still water who was a composite of real bands that crow followed although there actually was a real band called stillwater greg allman wrote in his autobiography that several things from the movie were based on him and his brother Dwayne, which is true for how much ground is covered in this film it was shot in 92 days, which I think is kind of impressive. That's yeah, really damn good. The actors that made up Stillwater practiced for four hours, five nights a week for six weeks prior to filming so that they could look the part. And the funny thing is there's not that much footage of Stillwater playing live. No, there is The fact that they practiced that much. So basically 20 hours a week for six weeks so that they'd look legit. And we watched the extended two hour and 40 yeah. minute version of this. Yes, that's another good point. So for anyone who wants to uh, watch before listening or, or whatever we did watch the extended i think it's uh, under a different couple names like um untitled cut and, i think that's uh, what it is yeah yeah stillwater songs for the movie were written by peter frampton cameron crow and his ex-wife nancy wilson of the band heart mike mccready of pearl jam played guitar on those songs peter frampton also served as a technical consultant sort of a favor because 18 year old cameron crow had written the liner notes to frampton comes alive of course which came free when you got a house in the suburbs. Yeah, Wayne's World joke. We're not worthy! We're not worthy! Most movies have a music budget of less than $1.5 million. Almost Famous featured over 50 songs with a music budget of $3.5 million. Awesome. So Jim, with excessive music costs and with all the accolades, how did Almost Famous fare at the box office? Please give us budget, box office, news, and number ones at time of release. From WUAB Channel 43, where the news comes first, this is the 10 o'clock news. 
Welcome to season 12 of the news. Almost Famous came out September 22nd, 2000. A nice late birthday gift for me at a whopping age of 19 to a $60 million budget. But this is the thing that blows my mind. Only made $47.4 million. And despite it being a box office bomb, it received widespread critical acclaim and received four Academy Award nominations including winning for Best Original Screenplay. Roger Ebert hailed it as one of the best films of the year, as well as the ninth best film of the year 2000. Two Golden Globes for Best Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy, and Best Supporting Actress for a Motion Picture in Kate Hudson. It has now become a cult classic. Hollywood Reporter in 2014, The List voted it as the 71st greatest film of all time. So, just because numbers are one thing, it doesn't dictate the greatness of a movie. You guys have known throughout all the movies we have covered on this podcast, and we've covered stellar ones. We've covered Chinese-speaking vampires. <laughs> it runs the gamut. It doesn't matter how much you spend on a budget or how much it makes. It depends on the staying power. This thing has incredible staying power. And speaking of something that didn't have great staying power, the number one movie in America at this time, Urban Legends, The Final Cut. Really? Starring one of the directors that we have mentioned on this podcast, specifically PCU, Hart Bachner, who wow. also played Ellis in Die Hard. There you go. And then the number one song, also a great like microcosm. Like if you want to look in a microscope and see the year 2000, Destiny's Child, Jumpin', Jumpin'. Ladies, leave your man at home. The club is full of ballers and their pockets full of gold. And now you fellas leave your girl with her friends Cause it's 11.30 and the club is jumping, jumping We say you got a girl, yeah it's true you got a man and another good thing that was going on at this time was a great video store known as Hollywood Video. And here are your top three rentals at that great video store. There are all kinds of movies to choose from. With all new categories and a personal guide, it's easy to find the right one. Only at Hollywood Video. American Psycho, Ready to Rumble, which we covered with Corey and Tunza, and Mission to Mars, which was a great movie because, once again, we've talked about this, Armageddon Deep Impact, Dante's Peak Volcano. You had Mission to Mars and Val Kilmer and Red Planet. Both great movies. Check them out. Kevin, to the news, in the biggest merger in this country's history at the time, AOL, America Online, fans that we used to be, agrees to buy Time Warner, the nation's largest traditional media company, for one 165 billion dollars billion billion really it was in that, 2000 that big wow yeah, that's fucking nuts when you think about it i don't it. think that paid off not at all somebody closed the door insert the aim closed door sound Sounds like a Logan Roy deal from Succession. <laughs> we gotta buy AOL. Which Dana loves, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Can't believe it. I gotta watch Succession. But it's, it's incredible. I'm in I'm in the midst of, well, we got one more week left of The Last of Us, and I just started watching Babylon 5 again, so I got a full plate. Started watching Babylon 5. How much Babylon 5 is there? There's five seasons worth of Babylon oh, okay. 5. Not as... And this is my fourth watch through, so yeah. it's really good. It's great long-term storytelling. I can't stress that enough. Speaking of long-term storytelling, the 52nd Annual Primetime Emmy Awards kick off at this time, with some of the winners being Michael J. Fox for Spin City, Patricia Heaton for Everybody Loves Raymond. I never did because I never watched the damn show. Did you watch Spin City? I watched like a couple episodes. It was okay. 
This is like sacrilege for me to say. I'm not a huge sitcom guy. Like, I don't like. I used to be. I don't like like studio sitcoms. I mean, laugh like, track sitcoms. Laugh, yeah, laugh track sitcoms. Like, not for me. I like. I can still watch Seinfeld and like yeah, news radio. I like stuff like The League. You know, oh, that's great. But not. It's always sunny. Yeah, it's always sunny. Like, give me stuff like that. Not so much like studio sitcoms. Yeah, studio audience sitcoms just don't hold the same weight. The West Wing, my favorite television show of all time, won big also at the Emmy Awards and friend of the show that we have referenced every single season. And we're going to reference him again. Eddie Izzard in Dress to Kill wins for outstanding individual performance in a variety or music program. So Eddie Izzard is now a dead name because yes. Eddie is now Susie. That comedy special, we have to cover it because it's probably one of the greatest comedy specials I of agree. all time. It's incredible. It's absolutely stellar. On to sports, George, welcome to season number 12. Good evening, everybody. I'm George Michael. Welcome to the Sports Machine. Kevin, the Sydney Olympics officially open, and one of the big things to happen was Vince Carter jumping over yeah. seven foot two Frederick Weiss, known in France as Le Dunk de la Mort. The dunk of death. Oh, really? Yeah, they went a little hardcore with that. But man, can you name a guy at that time? But Vince Carter just had some of the most iconic moments in NBA history. Yeah, yeah. He, he brought back the dunk contest. Amazing. He was an amazing. And like, I love that Vince Carter hung on so long in the NBA too because he modified his game because he was always known as just a dunker. Was he in the league for like twenty yeah. years? Yeah, but he nuts. like he learned to pass and shoot. shoot, and he was like a great teammate. It's fucking love excellent. It. And then we saw the guy wearing his jersey at my bachelor party. And I got and pictures that guy's of that. also a hero. Yeah, nothing's better than going to a ramshackle bar and seeing a guy in a Vince Carter jersey basically dry hump railing his girlfriend in front of all of us in daylight. Yeah, on a sand dance floor. On a sand dance floor that multiple people pissed on. It's sand mites, buddy. Ladies and gentlemen, 50 cent shots. We shit you yeah. not, 50 cent shots. Speaking of a guy who used to probably love his 50 cent shots, Tommy Lasorda managed Team USA to an Olympic gold medal in Sydney. Speaking of baseball and what that has become now. And Kevin, a big thing happens in the NBA. And I totally forgot about this. Patrick Ewing is dealt from the Knicks to the Seattle Supersonics. I, I forgot he was a Seattle I, Supersonic. I don't want to remember that. I remember when he ended up in Orlando and ended up retiring. It, like, I hate, like, I hate Joe Montana in a Chiefs uniform. I weird. Like, I hate guys who spent their whole career with one. Bernie team. Kosar in a Cowboys uniform. It's, you know, the, the weird one, too, is, like, Shaq. <sighs> he played for every, like, every team. He goes from Orlando to Los Angeles Fine. to Miami, Phoenix, Fine. Boston, Cleveland. Yeah. It's I like, don't know where he went. He was, yeah, where he went after that, but he went to the buffet. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. Shaq's cool, dude. Shaq's awesome. We love Shaq. We love Patrick Ewing. Underrated shoes. Let's kick off this season and become almost famous. So you're the kid who's been sending me those articles from the school newspaper. Yeah, yeah. I've been doing some stuff for a local underground paper, also. Hey, what do you like, the star of your school? They hate me. Yeah. Well, you'll meet them all again on their long journey to the middle. You know, your writing is uh, damn good. It's just a shame you missed out on rock and roll. It's over. Over? It's over. We I mean, got here just in time for the death rattle. Last gasp, last grope. At least I'm here for that. Maybe the only bad thing about this movie is the tagline. <laughs> 
experience it, enjoy it. Just don't fall for it. Means absolute everything. <laughs> like, what could that mean? It yeah. could be anything. Right. It's strange. All right. Let's tour this plot. Our story follows a child that I'm not sure what we want to call. Gifted, a genius, a prodigy. His name's William Miller. He struggles to fit in with other kids. Unknown to him, it's revealed that he's actually 11 years old. This explains so much. You've robbed him of an adolescence. <laughs> adolescence is a marketing tool. Honey, I know you were expecting puberty, but you're just gonna have to shine it on for a little while. Who needs a crowd? Who put such a high premium on being typical? You're unique. So weird. That part of the movie, just I'm like, why? He's going to school with kids 13 and 14. His mom skipped him two grades. Where's your pubes? You would ask what kind of parent lies to their kid about their age. Well, that's indicative of the type of person Elaine is. She's a widowed college professor who has banned music from their household. Her rules in parenting lead to William's sister moving to San Francisco at 18 to become a flight attendant. Four years later, 15-year-old William has been enlightened by rock music, specifically the records that his sister Anita secretly left for him under his bed. Great selection, too. It is. He wants to be a rock and roll journalist. He writes freelance for local papers. Like, I think they're like underground yeah. scenes type of things. And he sends some of these to rock journalist Lester Bangs. Lester takes a chance and is going to pay William $35 to review the Black Sabbath concert. That's probably pretty decent money. 35 oh. bucks in... 1973? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good money. William is unable to get in backstage. He tries to get in with some groupies who put him in his place for calling them groupies. We are not. Groupies. This is Penny Lane, man. Show some respect. Groupies sleep with rock stars because they want to be near someone famous. We're here because of the music. We are Band-Aids. She used to run a school for Band-Aids. We don't have intercourse with these guys. We support the music. We inspire the music. We're here because of the music. Because they are Band-Aids. They're mm -hmm. just really big fans of the band. When William sees opening band Stillwater arriving, he compliments their music. Russell. Jeff, Ed, Larry, I really love your band. I think the song Fever Dog is a big step forward for you guys. And you guys producing it yourselves instead of Glenn Johns, that was the right thing to do. And Russell, Russell, the guitar sound is incendiary. In incendiary. Way to go. Well, hey, well, hey man. man, don't stop there. Yeah, I'm Come incendiary too, man. Mean... And they get him backstage. The guitar player of Stillwater, Russell Hammond, takes a liking to William and one of the groupies or band-aids he was talking to that calls herself Penny Lane. William gets a call from Rolling Stone magazine who has seen his writing and offers him a job. When they ask if he has any ideas, he tells them he wants to write about Stillwater. Hardworking band makes good. New album out there third. Starting to do something crazy. Let's do 3,000 words. We'll join the band on the road. We'll set up billing. Don't let the band pay for anything. We can only pay, let me see, 3,000 words. $700. All right, a grand. 
so they send him on tour with the band. William tries to quickly get interviews and everything he needs so we can head home, back to his overprotective mother, and back to high school before graduation. But he keeps getting sucked in further and further, going from city to city on tour with Penny and the band. He sees all the band struggles, internal tensions. Penny and Russell are having an affair, but Russell has a wife at home. William's in love with Penny, so we got the not quite a love triangle. No, surprisingly. You thought it was going to lead to that, but it didn't. Yeah. Everything culminates prior to the band heading to New York. In New York, Russell's wife is going to join them on tour. So the band and their manager gamble away the groupies to another band's tour, Humble Pie, which is Peter Frampton was in Humble Pie. And in the movie, he plays Humble Pie's manager. It's awesome. Pretty interesting. And Mitch Hedberg's in that scene. In New York, the band is happy to learn that they're going to be on the cover of Rolling Stone. You're going to be on the cover of Rolling Stone. Are you serious? The cover of Rolling Stone. And we made it together. And they don't just put somebody with one little hit on the cover of Rolling Stone fucking magazine, man! However, Penny shows up in New York, kind of advised not to. And when she's rejected by Russell, who's with his wife, she overdoses on quaaludes, but William is able to get her life-saving help. On a plane ride where they think they're going to crash. Ah, the best. The band puts all the truth out there for each other, straining all of the relationships. So when this plane finally lands, you're like, is this band going to exist any longer? They may be done. It's the walk off the plane that says everything. They say nothing to each other. William goes to Rolling Stone offices where he tells them he needs a little more time to finish his article. Lester tells him to be honest and unmerciful. William tells it all, but the band denies it. William's crushed. Somehow sees his sister in the airport. They return home. She's basically like, tell me where you want to go. We'll go anywhere in the country. And he's been saying for the past hour of the movie, I just want to go home. Yeah, so they go home. To see their mom. And she's like very happy to see them. Russell calls Penny and tells her that he wants to see her. But she actually gives him William's address. He apologizes to William. Gives the interview that William tried to get for weeks on the road. Russell tells William that he called Rolling Stone and told them it was all true. Stillwater makes the cover of Rolling Stone. And Penny fulfills her dream of going to Morocco. Let's get into the characters. Patrick Fugit as William Miller. He was a complete unknown who said sent in a self-taped audition. He didn't even know Led Zeppelin. He thought it was one guy. Cameron Crowe kind of thought it was like endearing that he didn't know anything about rock music. So he liked something about him. He cast him. I think it was the right choice. Yeah, I agree. Elijah Wood screen tested for the role. Michael Angarano as young William. He grew up to be in some stuff. To me, the thing that sticks out, Gentleman Broncos and Sky High. Yeah. Billy Crudup as Russell Hammond. Phenomenal. Partially based on Glenn Fry of the Eagles and Dickie Betts of the Allman Brothers. Brad Pitt spent four months with Cameron Crowe developing the character before he dropped out, which literally made Crowe weep. Yeah. Because Cameron Crowe wanted Brad Pitt to be Russell Hammond so badly. Pitt's reasoning sucked. He said... I don't get it enough to do it. What do you mean? After what do you not four get? months. So you spent four months with him and you just don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. After Pitt dropped out, 
crud up beat out Christian Bale for the role. I would have not liked Christian Bale in this movie. It would have been a different movie. I like movie. Christian Bale. I buy Russell Hammond as this like sex pot. Yeah. That all the girls want. But not Christian Bale. Not Christian Bale. No. Oh, good for you. And how was it? I can see Christian Bale as, because he's looked like that in movies. Francis McDormand as Elaine Miller. Meryl Streep was considered. Kate Hudson as Penny Lane, also known as Lady Goodman. Yeah, real name. What about your mom? She always said, marry a, marry someone grand. And that's why she named me Lady. She named you Lady? Lady Goodman. Was also based on amalgamation, including partially based on B.B. Buell, which is Liv Tyler's mom with Steven Tyler. Steven Tyler. There you go. When Brad Pitt was Russell, this was Natalie Portman. And then she lost the role to Sarah Pauly, who was a month into rehearsals and dropped out to do one of her own projects, like a self-directed Remember, project. Sarah Pauly was in the remake of Dawn of the Dead, which was yeah. pretty good. Sarah Pauly's in this movie called uh, My Life Without Me that will fuck up a couple weeks of your life. Really? It's about a girl who finds out she has terminal cancer. Oh no. She doesn't tell anyone and she makes herself a list of things she wants to do before like a she bucket dies. Kind of, but one of them's like find her husband a replacement wife. Oh, this is too deep. Have an affair. Like it's cuz she's never slept with anyone else. It's I don't think I can emotionally do God, something like that. God, it like wrecks you for 2 weeks. Can't do You're it. like God. I was wrecked after Serenity. I can't but deal with that. They're all very Canadian, so in the she meets her husband at a Nirvana concert, but they call him Nirvana. Oh, great. Uh, <laughs> kind of. That's the bad thing. That's why I can't watch. That's, that's why I can't it. function. Forget the rest. I'm mad for two weeks because she calls it Nirvana. Alicia Silverstone badly wanted the role of Penny Lane and a number of recognizable actresses auditioned. Like we could spend a half hour. They literally had every single young up and coming, up and coming Hollywood actress audition. Christina Ricci, Kirsten Dunst, Mina Suvari, Brittany Murphy, Nev Campbell, Rose McGowan. Oh man, the home run. Allison Hannigan, so on. The most surprising surprising or left field one Lark Voorhees no not Lisa Turtle <laughs> imagine Lisa Turtle with uh, Christian Bale in, no, a, God. in a different universe and this movie works out differently it's a different movie Jason Lee is Jeff Beebe. It's fucking awesome. Awesome. Zoe Deschanel is Anita Miller. Anna Paquin is Palexia. Anita Miller. Faruza Balk as Sapphire. Bijou Phillips as Estrella. Philip Seymour Hoffman as Lester Bangs. Jack Black and John Favreau auditioned. Jay Baruchel makes a couple short cameos. More than Dick. Nick Swartzen. Jimmy Fallon as Dennis Hope. Which is weird. Like, I, I'm like, it's okay. He's pretty good at he's this. He's good. That's his first movie. Yeah. Rain Wilson as David Felton. Mark Kazelik as Larry Fellows. He's the singer of some band that Cameron Crowe knew. But Jerry Cantrell was actually the first choice. Anyone else? Eric Stone Street, which I think he's in a sitcom. Yeah, uh, he was in uh, the desk clerk. Oh, Modern Family, family. that's go. it. Mark Marin. He's literally angry promoter. I had to do a double take because I'm so used to seeing Mark Marin with a mustache. Yeah. yeah, blink and you'll miss it. Yeah. Peter Frampton as the manager of Humble Pie and Mitch Hedberg as the manager of the Eagles. <sighs> 
which on his album, he talks about smoking fake weed with Peter Frampton, which is not as cool as smoking real weed with guys who look like Peter Frampton. I have said it. One of the best things I was able to do was see Mitch Hedberg in concert before I'm he died. so jealous. The greatest thing ever. Him and Stephen Lynch. It was awesome. Which actor or actress gives a passable performance? Does any non-lead character steal scenes? I mean, this is like oh. normally when we get to this section, yeah. especially after WTF season, there are a lot of like, is there anyone who even tried in this movie? This one is like... Everybody and their mother tried. Oh my God. Literally. Everybody kills it. So I'm literally going to go for, like we said, non-lead. Without a doubt, it'd be Russell. Because Billy Crudup is fucking home run yeah. out of the park. But this, in the limited amount of time he was on screen, it's Philip Seymour yes. Hoffman yep. as Lester Bangs. Oh, man. He made friends with him. See, friendship is the booze they feed you. They want you to get drunk and feeling like you belong. Well, it was fun. Because they make you feel cool. And hey, I met you. You are not cool. I know. Even when I thought I was, I knew I wasn't. Because we are uncool. I don't know what it is. Every single movie that Philip Seymour Hoffman was in, I don't care if it's a lead. I don't care if it's Dusty and Twister. He finds a way to make everything he ever did memorable. And then you realize, you forget that he passed away. God, how many years ago now? You're like, fuck, there has never been anybody since he passed that is like him. He could yeah. be on screen for 25 to 30 seconds. You'll remember those 25 he, he to 30 has seconds. some X factor. Because like, I don't know he, what it he is. He wasn't like uh, that unique of a looking person. No. But he wasn't the, definitely wasn't the Hollywood archetype. Not you know, at all. He's a chubby dude. But like he was so good that it just, none of it mattered. Like him with William, it's literally like a father leading yeah. a son. Be like, okay, if this is what you're going to do, this is what you're going to encounter. Here's the bullshit you're going to go through. Just remember to be able to see through the bullshit. So I don't know if we'll mention this scene. So someone that I want to mention is Feruza Balk is Sapphire. She so is very underrated. That scene at the end when she's in catering. Is Penny okay? Oh, the Quaaludes incident? Well, it wasn't pretty. Could have died. Well, I always told her not to let too many guys fall in love with her. <laughs> I guess I was wrong. One of them ended up saving her life. William? Well, what do you care? And we all know what you did to him. And everybody knows. Even Penny Lane. Oh, and she's and it's it's like Russell's wake up call because she's like, everyone knows what you did to William. And she's so good and has so much conviction and so convincing in the scene. And that's the type of stuff where you wonder, why didn't Feruza Balk? I mean, like, maybe there is a reason I didn't really look, but like she's Vicky Valancourt, Kevin. She but she's like in in the craft and then she's Vicky Valancourt and then she's in this. But no serious. Why? Like, why didn't she continue to get the fact in that scene, too, that she tells Russell, like, you know, William saved her life. You know, she almost died. Yeah. It's the amazing thing. Like they established at the beginning of the movie that they're not groupies. They're fans. They are fans of the band. I don't know why Feruza Balk, and I don't mean to say this to be chauvinistic or anything. I don't know if Hollywood looked down upon her because maybe she just had a certain look to well, her. She was like a goth typecast. Very much I mean, so. She wasn't like, this is what makes me sad. Cause like I'm looking and okay. In 2005, she's in a 
a movie called A Year and a Day that's not even on Wikipedia. 2006, Wild Tigers I Have Known. 2008, Humboldt County, which I've heard of. Yeah. 2008, Grindstone Road. Never heard of it. 2009, Bad Lieutenant Porto Call New Orleans, which is kind of rad. 2010, Shit Year. 2013, Dose of Reality. Another Wait, movie. she was a movie called Shit Year or was it just a shit year? No, in she was a movie her? called Shit Year. That's yeah, not a good sign. Uh, 2014, Beyond Clueless. 2014, <sighs> a documentary called Lost Soul. This sounds like if we went down to the Dollar yeah. Tree, we would find three 2015, movies. 2015, Battle Scars. 2017, August Falls. All of these movies, none of them have even like a Wikipedia. Why can't she be like a supporting actress in something good? Like, why doesn't a director or well, somebody writing take a, you know, a gamble? I see she was in seven episodes of Ray Donovan. She's in a current TV series called Paradise City. But yeah, like why? She's got to be probably our age, right around our age now, I would assume. She's got to be in her early 40s. Wouldn't it be crazy if she's like 56 years old? She's 48. But still, why not? But she's great. I just wanted to make sure we gave her her moment. So let's go ahead. Um, I'm sure we'll have quite a few. I want to do which scenes made a splash. And before we mention our favorite scenes, Cameron Crowe's favorite scene is Penny Lane dancing alone in the debris like after in the auditorium after a concert yeah that's his favorite scene just like penny lane by herself dancing i love that yeah so jim uh go ahead and kick us off what's your your favorite okay i'm just gonna start in fucking chronological order in this movie because it's just i got a list so let's kick it off right off the bat lester talking music to william yeah at the station actually before he starts talking to william at the diner he's talking to the dj in the station like going through all the records here's a theory uh for you to disregard (laughs) completely uh music you know true music uh not just rock and roll it chooses you you know it lives in your car or, or alone listen to your headphones you know, with the vast scenic bridges and angelic choirs in your brain you know it's a place apart from the vast benign lap of america did you know that the letter by the box tops was a minute and 58 seconds long it means nothing nil but it takes them less than two minutes to accomplish what jethro tall takes hours to not accomplish transition into him meeting william and then sitting down and eating dinner with william telling him fucking nothing about you that is controversial man god it's gonna get ugly man they're gonna buy you drinks you're gonna meet girls they're gonna try to fly you places for free offer you drugs and i know it sounds great these people are not your friends. You know, these are people who want you to write sanctimonious stories about the genius of rock stars, and they will ruin rock and roll and strangle everything we love about it. You know, because they're trying to buy respectability for a form that is gloriously and righteously dumb. You're really good at this. I'll pay you $35 to go cover Black Sabbath, but you need to know X, Y, and Z about these guys because they're going to whine you, they're going to dine you, they're going to bullshit you. Which that all don't be their friends. That serves as foreshadowing for the rest of the movie. It does. He's like, don't let them pay for anything. Don't ride on their bus. Like, don't go there. And he does like, He does every single thing, but he needs to learn it for himself. Yeah, he's 15. My favorite thing about that whole sequence is that when he like first walks outside with Lester, and Lester's like, rock and roll's dead. Like, yeah. you caught the tail end of it yeah (laughs) it's like pretty funny i have a quick one russell gets electrocuted on stage so who's taking care of us who's responsible for this year with a get on the bus please everyone come on let's go let's go 
hey, you the manager Plus. of this band? Yes, that more. Come on, man. Man, well, you didn't finish your full Plus. set, man. Listen, pal, your shoddy stage setup almost killed my guitarist. Yeah, well, you trashed my fucking dressing room, and you didn't do your 25 you minutes. fuck with my band safety ever. Well, fuck you, man. Amazing. He I thought he was going to die. She goes to grab the microphone. <laughs> he gets electrocuted. What's great, though, is you don't hear some stupid Foley no, sound. No, right. You just know. He does a great job. He falls down. The band just walks off stage, and the, the manager throws them on the bus, and then you have Mark Mayer and his manager saying, like, I'm going to sue your guys. Like, you motherfuckers. You weren't even on stage for the 20 minutes. But then the A team, the gate, he yeah. he has the gate closed and he's riding on a golf cart chasing <sighs> the bus. And then they A team the gate. And then the great thing is they pay it off later because when Jimmy Fallon's hired as their manager, he's like, what you guys didn't know is if you would have stayed and whatever, you could have sued, you could have got yeah. all this money back, you know, so. Well, what's great about that scene too is their manager trying to fight yeah, Mark Maron. It, it's the worst karate ever. So my next one is Russell explaining to William what you leave out. Out? It's uh, it's not what you put into it. It's what you leave out. You listen to listen to Marvin Gaye, a song like "What's Happening, Brother." There's a single woo at the end of the second verse. The, you know that woo, that single woo. I know that woo. Yeah. Woo. yeah, that's what you remember, man. It's the little things, the silly things, the mistakes. There's only one of them, and it makes the song. It's what you leave out. Yeah, that's rock and roll. And then Marvin Gaye. What he's talking about, the special parts of music, like he's talking about, and he says, it's not just it's the woo. woo. It's the woo that Marvin Gaye does that is music. Everybody leaves out about how great that song is. And he, him telling William, it's not the complete context. It's the little things in the middle that yeah. mean it all. So I have, it's a whole sequence, the t-shirt argument that leads to Russell's binge. So good. Jason so, Lee in this scene is fucking oh, spectacular. This is the, yeah, exactly. This is the showcase for Jason is Jeff Beebe. Do you give a shit about a t-shirt? I'm just hungry, man. Let's just go out and find some barbecue or something. Look, I'm always gonna tell you the truth. Are you doing coke again? Oh yeah, all the time. This is big stuff, man. From the very beginning, we said, I'm the front man and you're the guitarist with Mystique. That's the dynamic we agreed on. Paige, Plant, Mick, Keith, Blackmore, Gillen, but somehow it's all turning around. We have got to control what's happening. There's a responsibility here. Getting so pissed off at Russell about the t-shirt design. And Russell's like, all right, let's talk about it. Yeah. Because the rest of the band, Jeff, the bass player, the drummer are all silhouettes. Yeah. And Russell is not. They just, they always have this problem throughout the movie. Russell basically walks out. He ends up at this house party with William where Russell does oh. like a ton of drugs. He does LSD. He's standing on the roof yelling, I'm a golden god. I love Topeka. <laughs> I am a golden god! Yeah! Yes, you are! I am a golden god! Hey, Russell, don't jump. And you can tell Rolling Stone magazine that my last words were... I'm on drugs! Yeah! And then he jumps off the uh, the house into the pool and then they get him back on the bus. And then the next sequence is maybe the best scene in the movie when they all sing Tiny Dancer. And then tickets out for gold. Turning back, she just laughs. 
It's the best. They sing like they rebond. And over that's that. what they bond over is that everyone in the bus singing Tiny Dancer. And that's uh, yeah, great. There's another crew. A lot of mine involve Russell. Because I think if I look back on the grand spectrum of every movie I've ever watched, Russell as a character might be top five of all time for me. You know, William's been trying to get this interview all the time with Russell. And Russell explains to him, takes William aside. They're at a pool at a hotel. It's dark. And he's talking about, he refers to it as lifestyle maintenance. Yeah. The more popular we get, bigger their houses get more responsibilities the pressure you know harder it gets for me to walk out on them then you forget forget what it's like to be a fan you hear it in, in bands all the time it doesn't sound like music anymore you know it sounds like lifestyle maintenance or something i used to be able to hear the sounds of the world everything to me sounded like music and now I don't hear it no anymore but I loved how Russell explained to William it's called lifestyle maintenance yeah. man the other iconic one the the electrical storm on the airplane don't be self-righteous Russell not now man you were sleeping with Penny that fucking groupie last summer up until yesterday why don't you tell Leslie that shut up I quit I'm gonna kill you I quit that Ruby, she was a band-aid. All she did was love your band. And you all used her. All of you. You used her and threw her away. She almost died last night while you were with Bob Dylan. You guys are always talking about the fans, the fans, the fans. She was your biggest fan. And you threw her away. And if you can't see that, that's your biggest problem. And I love her. I love her! Fuck it! I'm... I'm gay! So the fucking confessional is ev amazing. Everyone on the plane, I mean, they're starting to hit some like major turbulence. The pilot comes back and says, hey, we're going to land in a field. And they're like, in a field? And he's like, it's going to be a rough touchdown. Like Jim said, it literally turns into like a confessional. Like they all, so you find out their manager, Dennis, he was involved in a hit and run. And he doesn't know if the guy lived or died. And he sees they're the making their face. peace with God. They're making their peace with God. And then uh, Jeff tells Russell he slept with his wife as his wife is right there as next his to his wife. Him. And yeah, Jason Lee going, you got a problem with that? You've been sleeping with Penny yeah. the entire time. And he goes, oh, I love her. And then. Yeah. And then the drummer goes, I'm gay. And then he said nothing throughout this entire no, I movie. I think he has a line no. the whole movie. And he goes, I'm gay. And then the the like, like the lights come back on and the plane levels out and the pilot opens up and he's like, we're going to be fine. And the awkward silence. Yeah, and he just, <laughs> the drummer's like, off. if I would have waited five yeah. more seconds, yeah. nobody would know that. Which is a shame. He should tell him. My next one is Russell's phone call with William's mom. This is not some apron wearing mother you're speaking to. I know all about your Valhalla decadence and I shouldn't have let him go. He's not ready for your world of compromised values and diminished brain cells that you throw away like confetti. Am I speaking to you clearly? Yes, yes ma'am. If you break his spirit, harm him in any way, keep him from his chosen profession, which is law, something you may not value, but I do, you will meet the voice at the other end of this telephone, and it will not be pretty. Do we understand each other? 
Oh, yes, ma'am? I didn't ask for this role. But I'll play it. Now go do your best. Be bold and mighty forces will come to your aid. Gerda said that it's not too late for you to become a person of substance, Russell. Please get my son home safely. You know, I'm glad we spoke. Oh, yes. Because the whole time, like, you know, Penny's friends and everybody's saying or like the hotel concierge saying your mom's been calling call your mom so at one point William's trying to talk to his mom Russell takes the phone and then she just fucking lays into yeah. Russell like he's a 15 year old and Russell boy. didn't know he was 15 he had no idea and you yeah. just see Russell turn sheet white Yeah, and it's almost to the point where Russell feels even more protective yes. of William because like, oh my god he's such a kid and we're doing all this shit around him yeah. I love it and then even Russell brings that up at the end yeah. where he goes to Williams's house and his mom even goes, my son is very important to me too. And I do think you owe him an apology. I appreciate you showing up. No, no, I agree. Ma'am. There's hope for you yet. I knew I liked something about you. <laughs> I, I say, honestly, about the whole last 20 minutes of the movie. It's endearing. So William goes to Rolling Stone. He turns his story in. The band denies all of it. So Rolling Stone's like, he's a fan. It's all made up. It's a lie. And his dreams are crushed. He's ruined. Yeah, he's very upset. And then we see Russell. He calls Penny and he's like, I want to see you. And but then she actually gives him William's address instead of her own. And then I love when he shows up like he shows up and he it's funny because Zoe Deschanel is so great great in this because yeah. she's like can I help you and then she's like laughing because she doesn't know who it is Williams in his room sleeping it's funny because throughout the movie they call him the enemy mm -hmm. can't talk to you you're the enemy that was a running joke and then when he gets in the room he's so this is uh where the enemy sleeps and then he, he just finally allows them to do the interview. And it's so like, at this point, it's for nothing. Yeah. It's just for like his own personal, you know, because he wanted to do it. But he tells them, hey, I, I called Rolling Stone. I told them everything was true. And then it, it's just such a great scene. That's where our story with William ends. Then we see a funny uh, little mini montage of the band on tour. Yeah, they go on like a renaissance. They go on the No More Airplanes tour. I love it. 1974. Yeah, 1974. No More Airplanes tour and then we see Penny go to Morocco yeah her dream and then a nice touch when the band finds out that William included everything Jeff's wearing a shirt that says <laughs> Jeff Beebe on it love it but it's a picture of Russell and this is a reference to the scene in the extended version where Jeff tells Russell I'm the you they get when they can't have you I just can't picture you with Leslie I'm the you they get and they can't get you. Which is also kind of the story as to why Jeff slept with Russell's wife. So, all right. Well, we covered a lot of bases. Definitely a pool in this one. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, he says, I'm a golden god, and then he jumps in the pool. Everybody, season 12, pool check! All right, we're going to do, this movie was released in 2000, so we're going to do one hit wonders from the first decade of the millennium, 2000 to 2009. There's a lot of, like, shit that I totally forgot about. We discussed this last week, and you know, technically, Chad Kroger and Josie Scott Hero is a one hit wonder because it's the only song they ever did together. Not on my list this time. Yeah. I featured it last week. Okay, so I'll go ahead and go first with my number five. It's Ozone, Maya He, Dragostai Din. Tie. 
the group from Moldova that got famous because of a, an early YouTuber named Gary Brolsma made a video titled Numa Numa. Don't know what the hell. You don't this know what is. that is. No idea. So early like YouTube e-bombs world college okay. humor. Okay. Okay. It was everywhere. There was this kid and he's doing this dance to this song that goes Numa Numa Numa. Yeah. It got over a billion views. Jeez. It got shared millions of times. One of the most, like, one of the largest internet videos of all time. I'm convinced this song would have never been discovered if it wasn't for that song. But the song is so fucking ridiculous. I have it on my liked songs playlist. Every once in a while, I'll pop on. You can't be in a bad mood when you listen to the song. So my number five is Josie Sidecheck, Kroger Hero. No, I'm joking. <laughs> So my number five is This is the story of a girl Who cried a river and drowned the whole world And while she looks so sad in photographs I absolutely love her When she smiles You totally forget A, this song was between 2000 and 2009 Because yeah. I thought this was late 90s And here's the thing They did nothing else Like how could you top one of the biggest radio hits so, of the 10 years of the 2000s. This I mean, is my number on. three. My thing I want to say about it is without spoilers is I picked this only for one reason. There is a really fucking awesome joke in everything everywhere all at once that references this. Okay. It's a, a voiceover where he basically says like, this is the story of a girl. And then he like continues with the lyrics. Yeah. And the writers put it in there. He was like, he wrote the lyrics and he was like, I think that's from something and then he found out like oh i stole that straight from a song but then he liked it so much that they got it cleared and it literally like the lyrics of the song are a quote in a voiceover in the movie and like we've said about one hit wonders people shit on them constantly nine days is probably making a couple what maybe 15 20 30 000 yeah. a year for this song i mean this is the story of a girl who cried a river and drowned the whole world. world. That's an awesome That's lyric. Fucking great it. line. And it's, it's a great hook. My number four is Crazy by Gnarls Barkley. Oh, God, yeah. 2006. Does that make me crazy? Charles Barkley was Danger Mouse and CeeLo. This song was number one on the Billboard Top 40 and was absolutely everywhere. God. Weirdly enough, the song was inspired by Spaghetti Westerns and Ennio Morricone scores. Really? Yeah, it was like sampled and influenced by Spaghetti Westerns. I, I like when I was researching this list i'm like looking at the inspiration behind these songs and i'm like i couldn't be I, I have no musical talent but i was like i couldn't be a musician i'm a good writer but i'm like how crazy when you listen to it was inspired by spaghetti westerns i don't see the connection i never would have thought that for one second and go figure a lot of these songs come and go crazy is has so much staying power it transcends it, it in everything it's still yeah. in like everything there's it was so, in religious yeah. with bill maher there's a great a bunch of great covers of it yeah my next one another one you forget came out in 2001 weedus teenage dirtbag that's my number one song song 
song that was karaoke constantly. Get the drunk people in a bar. I can hit that high note. I can hit the high note. No one can. Nobody can hit that high note. It's such a great song. And of course, I associate this, even though it wasn't on the soundtrack to American Pie, I associate with American Pie, even though it was on the Loser Loser soundtrack with Jason Biggs. Jason Biggs. So here's the story of that song, according to Guitar. And this was from the year 2000. So it just made the list. The story of the song, according to guitar player Brendan B. Brown, it came from the summer of 1984 on Long Island. He was 10 years old. That summer in the woods behind his house, there was a satanic drug-induced ritual teen homicide. All right. And the kid who did it, his name was Ricky Casso. He was arrested wearing an ACDC t-shirt. It was like all over the newspaper. It was on TV. Dateline, Northport, Long Island. A quiet community rocked by reports a teenager was dragged through these woods toward a late-night ritual of death. An eyewitness said the victim, Gary Lowers, was forced to pray to Satan as he was repeatedly stabbed to death. Two young men were arrested. James Troiano was found innocent last month, but his alleged accomplice never made it to trial. Ricky Castle committed suicide in jail the day after his arrest. Despite numerous signs that Castle was into Satanism and rock music associated with devil worship, police steadfastly refused to label this case satanic. The official explanation, a drug-related crime. And he was 10 years old, and he's got all this, like, ACDC, Iron Maiden, Metallica cassettes. And, like, all the parents thought he was, like, a Satan worshiper. So, like... You know my mom would have thought that. Yeah, like, one kid wearing an ACDC t-shirt kills someone, and... It's devil music. It's devil music, and, like, he had to hide his cassettes and stuff. So that's kind of what the song was based on. Weird thing about this song is there's a lyric that's, like, her boyfriend's a dick, he brings a scun... Gun to school. Uh, scun to school. What the fuck is a scun? Yeah, he brings I love a, a scun. He brings a gun to school. Her boyfriend's a dick. He brings a gun to school. On Spotify, yep. they edit out that lyric. Her boyfriend's a dick. He brings a gun to school. On MT, I mean, this was Columbine, post right Columbine. After, yeah. So, like, I get it, but it's weird that still, till this day, on 23 Spotify, years later, I mean, that problem's only gotten worse. And a lot of people forget that was the lyric. Even when I DJ'd and I played that song, that part was edited out, and they thought it was something wrong with my equipment. He like, brings a gun to school and his ass I would lick. I'm pretty sure that's what it says. Great song, great lyric. My three was Absolutely Story of a Girl, so give us your three. Is another great song from a band that I would compare to, like, the wonders it's the click five yeah just the girl We're talking post boy band era. We're into 05 at this rate. I remember seeing just the girl. This might have been tail end of the box. Five guys playing all their individual instruments. Sounds like something out of the 60s or 70s. Excellent music video. This song just had a great wholesome hook to it. Wholesome. What am I fucking real? I don't know why I'm saying wholesome, but it's just something that I think was a song that was meant to be 40 years previous to when it came out. It's just a really great song. My number two another song absolutely everywhere paper planes by mia oh god yeah such a great fucking song 2008 
played it every week. It was a Diplo-produced joint, partially inspired by MIA being Sri Lankan, and then like people in the U.S. looking at her like she was a terrorist. Because following September 11, oh, yeah. which I mean, this was seven years after, mm-hmm. you could have been like a Hasidic Jew, you could have been like Bosnian, you could have been anything, and like you were a terrorist. Of every course. Like all these rednecks were like, fucking get terrorists out of my country. It's yeah. like, first off, you guys don't even know who committed 9-11 at this exactly. time because we're in Iraq. Two, like everyone with dark skin, everyone who didn't look like American yeah. was automatically a terrorist. So this song was basically saying like, I'm going to crash a plane into your building. The fucking hook to yeah. it is incredible. Yeah, Diplo did some work on that one. Polar opposite for my number two is Blue Cantrell hit him up style. Yeah. this time when this song came out this turned into the girls anthem yeah every weekend at the bar it's a fucking great song blue cantrell went on to do nothing else but like i said i wish it was by jerry cantrell that we just mentioned what if jerry cantrell would have done hey ladies go ahead and hit him up style in the box Great. Reeling uh, in my shit. I, my number one was Teenage Dirtbag by The Weedis. Ooh. So what's your number one? So my number one, SR71 yeah. right now. Wow. The punk CD compilations that I would make on a burning CDs back in the day, ripping off Napster and LimeWire. I'm pretty sure I put SR71 on it six or seven times before I went out and bought the album. I'm pretty sure SR71 is the band. So I was at a hardcore show at Hooligans, which was like a tattoo shop with a basement that had hardcore shows and uh, in Youngstown. And what was the club on the corner of market there? It was a few different things. Oh. There's always like the one being advertised on like Hot 101. It's, let's see, let's go through the there, list. There's Varsity Club. There's Varsity Glove, Pogos, 1743. I think it was 1743 okay. at the time. So we were there for a hardcore show or hanging on the parking lot, as you do, so you're not a bunch of like sweaty meatheads in a little basement. So we're outside. Well, this band walks over and they they look like they're wearing makeup, like for TV. Yeah. They've got like very expensive looking clothes on. Too done up. And they basically come over and they're like, hey, like we're, we're punks too. They basically were trying to recruit people. They were actually filming something for yeah. some... MTV. I don't know what it was for. They were, they were filming something, but they literally props to them because the amount of people around me that probably had like face and head tattoos and like just big jacked up punk dudes, hardcore dudes. And this band actually had the balls to walk over and be like, Hey, we're punks too. Like, Hey guys, you want to be right here right now? You want to come over here and uh, see the show? And everybody's like, no, like, thank you. No, thank you. We're good. We're in Um, too deep. Thankfully no one fought them. I mean, cause that was a very likely scenario. I got a lot. I got a lot of honorable mentions. So I, 
before I give this next one, sometimes a one hit wonders you like in retrospect, you see it, but you don't see it at the time when there's like a song that gets big and everywhere. You have the outlets telling you that they're the next big thing. Yeah. And you're like, this is the new sound. Like this is the biggest. You heard song. it here first. You heard it here first. When the song goes off the charts and they never have anything again. Okay. They tried a little too hard to make the stop trying to make fetch happen. It's yeah. never going to happen. Come on. But one of those examples is bulletproof by LaRue. That song in 2009, absolutely everywhere. It just disappeared. So here's one that fuck who let the dogs out yeah. by the Baja men. Holy shit. This is that Nickelback argument. Yes. Huge song. I mean, Still this probably is. sold 62 or 3 trillion copies yeah. at least. And fucking sports teams that have a dog involved. Yeah. Scrappers like yeah. our local minor yeah. league baseball team just plays a console. But like who was buying this? Who paid money? Who wanted who? Like, I, I like to think it's for like old teachers. Yo, That's the only people God. who liked who let the dogs out would be like old teachers. Okay. Pool seniors right now. I'm going to give you a mission. And it needs to be completed as soon as I finish what I'm about to say. Name another track on this album. Go. You're done. There you can't. No one ever. Nobody. I mean, hopefully people at least just bought the single and not the full album. I would hope. Listen, this song's so big. This band's going to be huge. I'm going to get the whole album. Now, here's the thing. It's probably. Who let who, the cats out? Uh, remixes. I have the most 2009 song ever. Asher Roth, College. Oh, God. I remember That song him. just feels like 2009. Oh, and yeah. Like what the humor was at the time in the fashion even 14 years later it doesn't really fly like no. some of the stuff i think he's like i went to college and even saw a girl naked or yeah that's that's not so i remember on hot 101 they played this one all the time and just like the title of the song says every time i heard this i felt the same way oh by luma d or yeah. something fucking hated that yeah. song that song just stuck in my craw and just yeah those are the so those are the one hit wonders that you really never know who they're by no you know what i mean Didn't like you hear it just, Hollister. Yeah, you hear them all the time, but you're like, I know this song. I couldn't tell you who it's by. Yeah. Flavor of the Week, American Hi-Fi. Oh, God. Yeah. Two stones, Nintendo. Nintendo. Weird. Like, yeah. that didn't make any sense. But then they had that cute little play on words instead of W-E-E-K. It was W-E-A-K. Oh, yeah. Flavor, like, well, Flavor of the Week. Good job there, American Hi-Fi. Here's another one for you. Yeah, beautiful. James Blunt. Fuck you. James Blunt has that song about monsters. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Uh, talk about things that'll tear you up. Uh, mm. Why don't you watch My Life Without Me and then immediately after go listen to Monsters or watch the music video? Nope. Monsters for James Blunt. Mm -mm. God, that no. one, that one's brutal. Afro Man, because I got high. Afro Man had some other songs like Colt 45 and Two Zigzags yeah. and some other things. Obviously, none of the other ones. They were like, okay, one radio weed hits enough. We can't have <laughs> more. But can't like, have all this weed hit. Afro Man made himself a little career and then he knocked that girl out on stage, which you don't go on stage while people are playing like you can't just wander up on stage Certain and start things you dancing don't do. don't do it if you're coming out of left field yeah I mean, come on yeah you don't, you don't know. know what's happening right dream you remember that little group that p did he put together yeah. dream yeah. he loves you not good beat another one that was fucking everywhere and then one day it just i've We're never done. i never heard yeah. it again i haven't heard this song in probably 15 years los lonely boys heaven oh god that song was everywhere and again who was it for i feel like after like rob thomas and Santana yeah. just fucking well, hit it. Like the year 2000 was smooth. Oh yeah. 
And then everybody was like, can we have like a little bit of like the, like the Mexican guitar mm. riff with everything? Let's do it. And I think Los Lonely Boys, like I literally think they were around for like 20 years. A long time. And they like were together and then they finally got like, like a radio Chumba hit. Wumba. Yeah, finally got a radio yeah. hit and then it was just, it was just gone. We're gone here. All right. Well, that was pretty fun. I think this season you may see a number of music pool checks. We had so, so much fun last week with yeah. the uh, music videos and then this week with One Hit Wonders. Ultimately, we're going to get back to our room. Yes. Yeah, a lot of uh, course correction after WTF season. We have to. Why don't we uh, get back in the pool? Everybody, back in the pool! Everybody pays you compliments. It's not my fucking job to kiss your fucking ass. Seriously, then whose fucking job is it? Because my ass is dying for a kiss, man, and I know yours is, too. It's uh, my fucking job, and I think you're all geniuses, and I'd just like to say to the folks out there, I'd like to leave you this thought, smack my... Nice. Fellows? Mm. <laughs> Feces. <laughs> <laughs> the name of the song is Love Thing. Your mind is starting to take effect. They've all come to watch you swallow fire. You scream. Soundlessly. On the night circuit. I thought that went well. I just wrote this critical question a couple minutes ago because oh God. I didn't have one. That's the thing, though. I love shit like this because normally it's off the wall. Yeah, I didn't have one going. All right. Did you ever get Rolling Stone magazine or do you remember any iconic covers? You know what? I never, ever got Rolling Stone and I never read it. Really? Never. Just not my thing. I'll tell you what I always liked. About, I was reading video game magazines. I'll tell you what I always liked about Rolling Stone is the articles that weren't necessarily about music. You know, there'd be like political driven stuff. I remember like the Curse of Oak Island. I remember there being like this 10 page article about Oak Island. I was so fascinated. And then years later, the TV show came out and I watched it for a while and then realized it was going nowhere. So I yeah. stopped watching it. It's, it's a one hit wonder. It's still going. It's yeah. a one hit wonder TV show. But I do remember some covers, the Britney Spears cover. In 99. Okay, I do remember I think she's that. She's wearing like a bra and panties, but she's got like an open robe and she's laying on her back. There was a cover with Rosario Dawson and Rose McGowan. It was for Grindhouse in 2007. They're only wearing like the bullets. Yeah. So they've Bandoliers. Got, yeah, they got like just bullets covering their naughty bits. They had Johnny Knoxville on the cover in 2001 and he's like on a, like a bullseye. Now Rolling Stone, obviously I just named covers that none of which are rock and roll because that was always like the cover of Rolling Stone was always like, obviously the Stones, Dylan, Beatles, like Hendrix, like all the icons were on the cover. And then I wonder, I'd have to do some research, but I wonder when Rolling Stone actually made the decision to like, Hey, we're going to start putting actors on the cover, comedians, pop. It probably, realize staying power you Pop need to make it more entertainment based um, yeah so awesome i mean annie Leibowitz would shoot a lot of the covers for rolling stone and stuff so like i said we got it for a few years probably one of those like hey you you bought a cheeseburger you get a free subscription rolling stone for five years someone i'm glad did not go on the uh the uh Stillwater tour he did nothing to do with fever dog was uh david mccall Hey guys, I was a rock star once. You know, I used to do coffee houses and I was on the biggest rock. Oh, fuck you, I'm out of here. It all could have been different, Mr. Walker. 
You should have allowed nature to take its course. Fell off that speaker stack. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the logic in this movie can be chalked up because there's not a ton. There is. But a lot of the logic can be chalked up to it was the 70s. So like Rolling Stone hiring William without verifying any of his information. Kevin, it was the 70s. Yeah, right. It was yeah. a lot of this logic just like, oh, it was the 70s. There's a lot of like, okay, you're telling me you don't know he's 15. You're letting him hang out around drugs and all this alcohol. Nobody's stepping in. Hey, Jim, it's the 70s. Yeah, right. Yeah. There's a uh, there's a lot of like stupid logic, like continuity logic in this movie where you'll see like a newer car in the background. It's like supposed to be 70 and there's like a 1984 car. Well, I do have one big one. How the fuck does William not know his real age? How old? And when he rebels in some strange and odd way, don't blame me. Am I? I skipped your next grade. You're 11. 11? So you skip fifth grade. There's too much padding in the grades. I taught elementary school. 11! Seriously, right. how do you not know that? Well, how does everyone go along with it? Why is there such a coup? Like, why, his why mom wanted it, to advance him? Why does she want him to grow up so quick? But why not just tell him that he's 11? He seemed real pissed off because he screamed at one point. 11? Then just said, yeah, and then he just seemed, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, whatever. Oh, weird. William loses his virginity in, like, an orgy. Kevin, it's the 70s. Everybody did. <laughs> it was the 70s. Lucky so bastard. So they're in, where are they? They're in, I don't remember. Cleveland. No. No. Okay, there's another logic point. This movie treats Cleveland. Cleveland like Mecca. Like the whole movie leads up to Cleveland. It's the only movie in a time period such as that where Cleveland wasn't made the butt of a joke. I know. Like I love Cleveland. Blow my mind. But this movie gives it like too much credit. It is New They're, York like, City. Every, every other line's like, you come into Cleveland. <gasps> oh my Cleveland's God. got the best hotel in the world. Yeah. And like everyone's so excited for Cleveland. The show in Cleveland that they show them playing and they, it's like a montage of their songs. Everybody's like, it's awesome. I love it. They make Cleveland, Cleveland seem like this incredible place. But yeah, I don't remember where they are, but they're bored. They're like, there's nothing to do in this town. And yeah. They're all just sitting around and William's in the bathtub, like writing notes for his article. Cause that's how he does it. He does on like little notes. Yeah. He writes on his hand. Yeah. And then uh, Penny comes in the bathroom to pee and he like freaks out. Cause he's like, he's trying to be a gentleman. Yeah. He's like, I thought the first time I'd see you pee, we'd be married, whatever. <laughs> well, and then like, so he leaves and then basically, really. well, he goes back into the hotel yeah. room and then Palexia is like, your time has come. Did Russell call? Did flower. Opie must die. <laughs> no, no. We're talking. And literally he sleeps with like three girls. Good and job. And good job, buddy. Penny kind of stands there and watches for a minute, but then she goes into the bathroom to yeah. not like join in or watch. So a little, I don't know. Yeah. What a weird, what are the odds that William runs into his sister at the airport? It's literally a one in a million shot. It's not the stars aligned. It's not in their like home airport. No, he's just in an airport and she doesn't even see him. She hasn't seen him in four years. Yeah. He was a child. She hasn't seen him in four years. She sees the back of his head and knows that's her brother. She looks like Smurfette. She's like wearing the weirdest flight. Like she came off like a Pan Am flight. And then she sits down, recognizes him and is like, I'm glad you had a life. I'm glad you got away from mom. Hey, I'll take off work. Let's have an adventure together. You and me finally. 
anywhere you want to go. The statistical odds, even if they were in the same airport, infinitesimal. The odds that you'd run into somebody in like it is so small. It ain't happening. It's crazy. Road manager poker party's awful. Like, isn't yeah. that human trafficking? That's all it is. They're but literally. I, and then Russell does like one of the slimy, like one of the few, like very few slimy things when he tries to explain to William, "Hey, man, they're gonna go anyways. They're not yeah. gonna stay." Yeah, he's like, oh, "They all, they knew, they knew that this was." But like, why would the girls go along with that? Literally, the girls aren't there in an official capacity. But it also seems like this isn't their first run around with bands. They kind of get it. Yeah, but it's just weird that it's kind of like, "Hey, girls, you got to go on tour of Humble Pie." Like, what if they're like, "I don't like Humble Pie." But I love the fact that during the plane ride confessional, William yells at Russell, "Be like, listen, she wasn't somebody yeah. you sleep around with. She wasn't a groupie. She was a fucking fan of this yeah. band. She loved you guys." I'm sure Led Zeppelin liked Vic following them around. Oh, yeah. Like he's so such a fan. He like couldn't even talk. No. So does Russell's wife end up with Jeff? Because like when they have that scene in catering, don't they yeah. kind of imply it? Kind of. Because Russell kind of says like, I can't see you with her. And he's like, yeah, you're the, I'm the you they get when they can't have you. Yeah. But it almost m- implies that they're going to be together. That'd be the weirdest. But that should happen in rock and roll. Like yeah. in real life. Can you imagine you're just chilling, you know, no, your ex-wife can't. is with. And a lot of people forget in this movie that Jeff's the lead singer of the band. Yeah. It's not Russell. Russell's the guitarist. Penny and William live in the same town. How did they not know? Like this never was brought up in like a drunken or drug haze. They wouldn't, again, statistically yeah. probable, but like he does meet her in San, San Diego. Diego. San Diego is a big place. There's yeah. probably multiple schools, but like he didn't know her from school or like, no, because we don't know how old Penny is. Is that whole scene where he's like, I'm 17. So I'm 17. I'm 16. Yeah. I'm 16. Well, I'm really 15. So she's 16. I think so. And, <sighs> and Russell's a grown adult, but again, it's the 70s. Yeah. Uh, but like I get the feeling but we're these, stretching I get it the there. feeling these band-aids were actually like 15 16 yeah. well, a lot of statch yeah, yeah too much pretty pretty weird but that again that happened a yeah. lot unfortunately with rock stars and Carl Malone also and uh yeah so did you like fever dog if you go on Spotify their shits on yeah, there I, I mean, like it it's it was right. written by Peter Frampton and yeah. Nancy Wilson it's it's got like, lineage it better be good yeah. you know yeah pretty rad so what's the legacy of this movie again kind of bomb in theaters yeah but i don't remember like any marketing for it or anything do you think this could have bombed the normal cuts two hours do you think it could have bombed in theaters because it's a two hour long movie and it's very story driven i think it had to have fallen somewhere in the marketing but it's it's weird because a lot of these movies like this seem to bomb like dazed and confused didn't make any money it's true iconic almost famous iconic almost period piece almost famous is like literally on a ton of greatest movies of all time Mm -hmm. lists cameron crowe owes a lot of this movie getting made to steve even Spielberg because Spielberg, Cameron Crowe sent him a copy of the script and Spielberg's like film all of it. Yeah. Like don't edit any of it. Film literally everything in the script. I love it. Helped him get it made. Props from Crowe to, to Spielberg. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's awesome. It launched the careers of, of Patrick Fuga didn't really, yeah. he's in a movie I love called Risk Cutters. He, I remember from an episode of House. Kate Hudson. Yeah, Kate Hudson like absolutely probably benefited the most and, and she had 
like very fun. She's like, this was the best time of my life. Yeah. She was like, this is the best. She was 21 playing. Uh, maybe 16. Maybe 16. And Billy Crudup, up. Like he had a, stuff before this. No, this no, was, so I mean, launched in, I, I don't know if this was the first thing he was in, but nothing. This was the launch. Nothing before this. And if it would have been like Christian Bale or yeah, Brad Pitt. So weird. Would have been just like another movie. Might not have bombed, but he was the right guy for it. But Jason Lee was in a lot of Kevin Smith movies before this. Crudup up in uh, the Watchmen series. Awesome. You know what? I think maybe when we get to 150, like I think after watching this movie for the first time, this might have entered my top 10 of all time. It'd be cool if maybe if we even did a top 20 list of our favorite movies of all time. It'd be interesting. It'd be interesting because I'm all over the place. It. I mean, I pretty much just read the uh, Coen Brothers filmography. Yeah. And then Total Recall. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. But uh, it'd be interesting. But yeah. this movie was, it would. I can't believe it took me 23 years to watch this movie. It's fucking incredible. So I couldn't remember if we did this as a pool check, but I, I will say that this movie for me falls into the category of the perfect like Saturday or Sunday movie. Oh God. Like just yeah. lazy, lazy weekend, no plans, spring day, Takes door a open, lot of time. window open, just lay on the couch, watch it with commercials on cable, without commercials, whatever. Like this is the type of movie, once you've seen it so many times, you can pop in at any place. Yeah, I, I think agree. It's like perfect. So, all right, stick around for some plugs. Pool sceners once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the show. And don't forget, as always, like, comment, subscribe, rate and follow. Follow Apple, Spotify, and Podbean. You leave us a five-star review and we read it on the air, we'll send you out a bit of a prize. Also, don't forget, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch. If you guys are unsure how to get there, we have a one-stop shop now, and it's called Linktree, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Pool Scene Podcast. If you guys would like to contribute to the show in any way, help for future content, maybe even put it towards a cup of coffee for us. There is a link at the top of the link tree that will send you to basically a tip jar. We love you guys and thank you once again. And now back to Kevin. One, two, three, four. Hit it. Final lap guy. Yeah. The final lap. I think I did that backwards. I probably should have said hit it, then one, two, three, four. But again, I don't know anything about music. So no, we're, we're not musically inclined here. No. I can play Heart and Soul on a keyboard. That's about it. There you go. Jim, what do you got going on? Right off the bat, want to say uh, rest in peace, Tom Sizemore. Yeah. Looks like everything finally, unfortunately, caught up to him. And I think he was 61. I think he was only 61. Yeah. Tom Sizemore was in just a lot uh, of the fucking. We covered great him in Strange movies. Days. Yeah. Which I love. But uh, yeah, I don't know if we had covered him in anything else. I don't think so, but it's great and everything. Uh, very, so I mean, it's sort of that thing where it's like if size more pops up, you kind of know what, what you're getting. Oh yeah, you definitely do. So Kevin, I know you're a big uh, EEAO fan, everything, yeah. everywhere, all at once. Did you see there is now a controversy that might involve Michelle Yeoh losing her nomination? No. So apparently there is, it's, I mean, by the time this comes out, the Oscars will have happened. Will have happened. But as of this recording, March the 8th. So this came out. This is on Huffington Post. So apparently, Michelle Yeoh violated an Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences thing where she put up a social media post talking about Kate Blanchett. And according to this post, casted a negative or derogatory light on a competing film or achievement, and it will not be tolerated. <sighs> 
And basically she put in a post detractors would say that Blanchett is the stronger performance. The acting veteran is indisputably incredible as the prolific conductor Lydia Tarr. Yep. But it should be noted, I'm quoting Michelle Yeoh, that she already has two Oscars. A third would perhaps confirm her status as an industry titan. But considering her expansive and unparalleled body of work, are we still in need of yet more confirmation? So she has since deleted this post, but I guess it's pissed off the Academy because it's casted Kate in a negative light. No, it hasn't. It's like, no, it hasn't. She's like, literally saying she won two Oscars already. Does she need a third? Third. But according to the hoity-toity they're like, Academy. They're like baseball. It's what it is. They're yeah. like baseball. So someone, uh, I think it was on the ringer. It was pretty fascinating. Basically said, how do we fix the Oscars? It was genius. It was like, okay, they divided the awards by saying, tell you when the awards were coming up at, at time cues. Exactly. And then they would have like four of the, the awards before they would have a halftime, which the halftime would be the performances of all of the best song, which would be great. And then after they would have like the prestigious awards, the Oscars after are too the fucking long. And most of these categories none of us have ever watched or seen yeah unless I you're, watched, a, unless you're a cinephile <laughs> but like but yeah like best foreign film yeah. like nobody's watching it i'm sorry nobody is and then something completely unrelated from the oscars john ja morant what a fucking idiot that guy is jeez jesus listen john ja morant you screwed the pooch here pal so there are people trying to say what he should do is tell the nba it was a fake gun it was not fake, you fucking idiot. I mean, it is literally in the Players Association, the CBA. It is yeah. in the collective bargaining agreement that any player who brings a firearm to a team facility including the team playing. It's a subject to an automatic 50 game suspension. Yeah. No wiggle room. Nope. We're but done. he's one of the faces of, of the NBA, of the NBA. And does the NBA have the balls to stand by it? Because like, imagine right now the NBA, like shutting down, I, you name it, you know, one of the faces of the league who is in playoff contention. Who So he did the gun thing at a team facility and then did a video separately with the gun. With the gun yeah. What the fuck? Like yeah. you need to draw a, line People, if you draw a line with one of your superstars then you know shit ain't gonna happen on twitter posts about him people are posting like all of these family photos oh, showing come on. Sh- of him showing that he's literally not that guy they're saying he's corny he is not a gangster like he, yeah so shannon sharp used the phrase he's hustling in reverse or hustling backwards some of these guys did come from oh like, yeah horrendous situations no doubt they got out of their neighborhoods by playing basketball some of them were in gangs and stuff and like john morant is not one of those no people. but now he is trying to like be now, that yeah but he's why, not. why? You have $200 million. You have. Do you need street credibility? You have a shoe deal. What do you. Yeah. Who are you trying to impress with bringing a gun? Last night, I decided to watch Cobra for the first time, and I'm... I thought you've seen it before. Never seen it before. I'm heavily convinced that we need to cover this movie, because I've never seen somebody so committed to a story like Sylvester Stallone, yet mail in a performance so distinctly. It could have been so much better, but I was just left like, this is disappointing. I was... It's, there's badass scenes in the movie, but I'm just like, if you would have been more like John Spartan, I think it would have been a hell of a lot yeah. better. I think he learned that later on. I think he did, too. 
be a little uh, playful. But this is right off of Rocky Six, and he's married to Brigitte Nielsen, and they were caught necking on the set constantly, and he was a diva, but whatever. But yeah, you watch anything uh, Anything new recently? Just uh, still uh, barreling through Succession, which is Jim set up top. I've watched. My wife's never watched it. I think she's the first person in history to ever cry as Succession. We were watching the season, the end of the season two finale, and I look over, and she's bawling. She's got tears coming down her face. I'm like, what are you on about? See, I've never seen Succession. I need to watch it. But from the little snippets I've seen, I'm like, I don't know how I could get emotionally that involved with any of yeah. these characters. It's like this of, isn't lost. It's like Game of Thrones with business. Yeah. It's like uh, everybody's backstabbing each other. Everybody's like betraying each other. It's it's about business and corporations and such. And it, I was just like, OK, but uh, I watched the uh, season four, the final season trailer. And I kind of wish I wouldn't have because whenever there's a show like this, I always have to decide, do I want to wait and binge it all at once or do I yeah. want to watch it week to week? Something like Game of Thrones, you're almost forced to watch it episode by episode yeah. because otherwise it's going to get spoiled by the time you over. There's you're no wrecked. way it's not going to get spoiled. For example, Creed three blatantly spoiled for me. Not that I still I, know nothing of it. Not that I care that much, but I was reading yeah. this article about uh, something and it's just like putting it all out. And I'm like, I didn't even think it's Creed only been was out. Great. It's only been out like a couple weeks or yeah, a wrecked. week or something. And I'm like, you're already just everything now. Is so urgent. Yeah. You know what I mean, if like, if you haven't seen it in a day, that's why the Marvel movies and stuff, you had to go see them opening night. Cause yeah. if you didn't the season for finale of the last of us they're only doing nine episodes this season what a fucking credit to doing weekly releases again because yeah. shit's not getting ruined granted i played the first game but it was 10 years ago i played so a lot of it you i played know the second one never played the second yeah. one pedro pascal i'm in love with daddy pedro i gotta say he's fantastic bella, bella ramsey nation win every goddamn award because it's the performances have been tremendous the story by neil Druckmann. there's always been disconnect between make a video this make a movie out of video game and you look at the past with like you bowl doing this like blood rain yeah. all this horrible shit even street fighter the movie with van damme not great this is gritty well, it's fucking gruesome and it's you just connect with let's see there's a there's a reason though that they why they would want to adapt the last of us because ultimately the story was done you know oh, what I mean? yeah, it, it wasn't was like they didn't take something like one of those ones you just named yeah. blood rain yeah. and try and make a good movie out of it they took something that was already a good movie established hit. in video game form yeah. and it just made the cinematic part. but it's the fact that i've heard people say I refuse to watch The Last of Us because Bella Ramsey doesn't look like Ellie in the video game. Yeah. Like, oh, fuck yourself. Look I, how good she is. That's that's a weird... It's the dumbest thing. It's, it's a, a video game, Weird man. thing, yeah. And what this past episode from this past week, I've not watched a, a TV series, and I'm an emotional person. There's only been eight episodes thus far. I've cried for four of them, and mm. it's just like fucking incredible time. Uh, it's always a hard decision whether I'm going to just wait and binge something or just watch it weekly with Succession because I think think i do care about it and i like it i've been along for the journey i'm probably just gonna i'll probably just watch it yeah i'll probably watch it weekly and then go back and watch it binge kind of yeah i gotta Which, check it out watching stuff with my wife is like we get maybe an episode or two during the week maybe if we're lucky and then on the weekends we might get two or three in a row yeah it drives me crazy i, I know yeah you, know, you and your girlfriend are yeah. in a similar boat because like you differ a little bit you said she only likes to watch like maybe an episode or two episodes here or there she can't sit in front of 
a TV too long because she'll fall asleep. Yeah. Me, I can watch a whole fucking yeah, run. And I, be I'm good. the same way. Like yeah. I, if if I've got nothing going on, I'm it's nothing in. for me to just like. Well, might as well watch the whole season Let's or watch the whole. You know, like you know, when I was younger, if I did that, I would maybe feel like I wasted a day. Yeah. Where if I'm like, sure, shit, I I stayed up till 3 a.m. and I watched eight episodes of something, I'm a fucking loser. Yeah. But now I like look forward to and cherish that. Like if I, it's my escape. Yeah. If I have a weekend or something where I'm able to just sit down for eight hours and watch eight episodes of something, I'm like, that was a good weekend. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, totally stoked. It's amazing how things have changed. Yeah. The older we get. So yeah. So we'll see. Succession season four coming up. I think in a month or two. Yeah. Me and Dan are through season three, episode one. So we've got eight episodes left to be caught up and i'm like excited for her to get to the season three finale because to me the season three finale is like the best episode so far so I mean, she's probably gonna sob she might she, yeah she very well might so all right well i think next week we are going to release one of our first swim shorts yes. episodes just again a small digestible departure for us a little bit sprinkling those here and there for you so that we're not basically it's so that we're not skipping a week of content yeah you'll get something it won't be a full-blown episode but yeah. it'll be a little something to wet your whistle. Mm-hmm. So you don't feel like you're missing us to our glorious voices. Uh, exactly. Until then, stay tuned for the first swim shorts next week. Silencia.